Good morning. It's great to see all of you today. Man, can I give a shout out to our ladies on our women's retreat? Where are you at? Yeah. Man, you guys, you guys are awesome. You really are. Where's Shana? Where's Shana? Shana, Shana. Yeah, Shana. Shana. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. And the reason why I point out, Shana, we have great teachers, worship leaders, great ladies. But, you know, helping to organize something like that. You know, as a matter of fact, I'm going to just tell you how it played out. I didn't mention women in the first service. And so she came up to me and said, listen, you didn't give us a shout out. I'm like, oh, you're telling me I could give you a shout out? She goes, yeah, I'm telling you, we need a shout out. And I'm like, <laughs> so it, it, she's exactly right. You guys are awesome. <laughs> you guys are awesome. We're excited. I began to hear stories of what happened while you were out there on the retreat. Great. Absolutely love it. I also want to welcome you to Super Bowl Sunday. It is a national holiday, or it should be a national holiday. So I want to find out how we fall out. Um, uh, 49er fans, where are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really uh, awesome. Um, uh, <laughs> Kansas City Chief fans, where are you? Yeah, man, look at you. Oh, wow, look at you. Now, uh, Taylor Swift fans, where are you? Yeah, okay, good, good. The first service, everybody was all excited about Taylor Swift. I was just like, let me just tell you, if I miss one football play because they're panning over to Taylor Swift, it's hockey for this guy. I'll be watching hockey for the rest of my life. No, man, it's great. Hey, let me just tell you about Ash Wednesday, because some of you are like, what's Ash Wednesday? And uh, I know it's kind of a Catholic Lutheran thing. Um, it, what we do with Ash Wednesday is, is kind of just set our minds to understand that we're entering into a period of time to remember the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that grace did not come cheap, but grace came to every single one of us through our Heavenly Father. And so we just, it's kind of a, this coming Wednesday, we just get together, it's great for kids. You get a little smudge of ash on you and we'll explain what that's all about. And we will also explain about why Lent. But here's what we're not gonna do. We're gonna, we'll draw the line there. You can still eat meat on Fridays. If you, you know, don't, have, don't have to do that whole fish thing that you might've done as a Catholic. But it's the idea of just kind of stopping and centering your, your soul a little bit to just remember. Because, you know, I mean, we just, had, we just had Christmas. He was just born, you know? And it's like, it's like, what? I mean, he's dying again? You know, it's like, what is happening? It's Easter again? And so it's a way to slow down our souls a little bit and kind of like just remember what, what God did for us. So... Uh, Welcome here. We're in the middle of a series called Abound. It's a, been a really good series for me. I write series for me, you know, and then I share them with you, but they're written for me to help get me right where I need to be with God. And we're talking about this one verse that's just kind of uh, catapulted us, Philippians 1.9. It says, Paul's saying, I pray that you may, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. I mean, he just wants us to be just popping. He just wants us to be abounding more and more in the quality of our love. And, and we even had to unpack that, because what is love? And, and I'm a real technical person about trying to, and I'm a little thick. I don't, you know, some people are like, how do you not know what love is, Paul? It's like, no, if you want me to do something and abound in it, you gotta give me a really good definition. And so this is what we came up with. Love is the relational engagement that seeks the highest good in all things as directed by God. It's like, it's not feelings, it's not happiness, 
It's not, you know, what do I feel good about it? This, it is, no, it is the engagement. It's not just wishing upon a star. It is the engagement of seeking the highest good for the people around me as directed by God, as God tells me how to seek their highest goodness. And he's like, I want you to, I want you to be amazing in this. I want this to be your number one thing. So today, uh, we're going to continue with Paul in Philippians, and he's continuing to talk about, about abounding, and he's going to be talking about the potentials of it, and I think it's pretty amazing what you and I have the potential to be. I mean, I, I sometimes don't see my own potential, um, and so Paul's going to tell us, what, maybe broaden your mind a little bit about what you personally can accomplish and then also he's going to warn us about some poisons, and we'll probably deal with those right up front. Some of the things that poison abounding in your life. But let me read you the whole scripture, and then we'll, we'll jump back into it. Philippians 2.14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. So Paul's talking about the impact potential here, and it's incredibly powerful, but he's also talking about the poisons of abounding. And I think it's really important for us to get a hold of that. And the thing that astounded me about this verse is that the one thing that I thought he would have identified that would shut down abounding was not what he identifies. See, up to this point, and you know, went back again and looked at Philippians 1, now we're almost at the end of Philippians 2. I'm, I'm like, he's only done, dealt with one moral issue. And it's like, hmm, you know, only one moral issue has been dealt with with the Philippians so far. And that moral issue is self-centeredness. Um, and I, I think that's really interesting because it's like that's the first thing he talked about was, hey, look not on your own interest, but on the interest of others. Humble yourself and look on what other people need and speak life into them. It's like, so that's the first thing that he's, deal, he's dealt with, self-centeredness or pride. Today, he deals with another manner of, uh, of poison to abounding, and it is how we talk to each other, how we talk about others, how we interact in the world, how we talk at the workplace, how we talk in this church, how we talk in our marriages. And, and, and this really surprises me. And the reason why, and, and today is like, super duper like intense because if I was like evaluating what's wrong with the church of America today you would think that Paul would be talking about the left-wingers in our country or that he would be talking about the transsexuals um, that he would be identifying Something that, you know, the adulterers and the stealers of the world. And that he would have identified them and be like, yeah, this is what we got to deal with. But he hasn't dealt with any of that with the Philippians. But I would have thought that's what's wrong with the Church of America today. Uh, and why would I have thought that? Is because it seems to be the thing we're preaching on the most. It seems to be the thing that we focus on. Uh, and... And so I'm like, but self-centeredness and grumbling and disputing and, and murmuring, he's like, you're addressing this issue. And I thought, why? Why, why these two? 
Because self-centeredness, grumbling, and disputing will kill any kind of relationship, in any kind of culture, in any kind of gathering, whether it's biblical or not. I mean, this is like the, the big, big thing. You know, when I was, I became a new Christian. Uh, it was like 1981, became a Christian. And then from that point on, it was like five years of intense Bible study on the word lust. Because I was in the 70s, man. We were just, we were just ripping, man. I mean, it was just like... <laughs> Coking, smoke, joking. I mean, we were doing it all. I mean, so we, we got no accusations against this culture. You know, where we are today, I don't blame Gen Zers for anything. You know, if anything's grown, we were the Petri dish that we, you know, that it all happened in. And so, uh, this, so I thought my number one problem is lust, or my number one problem is porn, or my number one problem is my, uh, the ladies, and I would do Bible study after Bible study. And it wasn't until like the fifth or sixth year of my Christian walk, I was in the book of Romans and, and uh, you know, I had prayed all these prayers for God to take lust out of my life, but not too much lust, you know. I still, you know, I, so I, I just, it's not too much. Take some, but not all. And then God's like, listen, I don't have the half the problem with your lust that I have with your arrogance. It's like, what? It's like, oh yeah, yeah. Your, your arrogance and pride will keep me from talking to you about other important issues. See, in Christianity, we tend to make like homosexuality and drinking like as if God's talking about those most up in heaven. You know, him and Jesus, the father and Jesus are like, you know, look at the homosexuals, what they're doing down there. Or all those drinking Bud Light people and whatever, you know, they're out there, Bud Light, uh, nothing to but that's a whole nother issue. Let me just say, if you're gonna drink beer, why are you going with one calorie? I mean, it's like, <laughs> serious. That is so stupid. But okay, um, okay, I lost my train of thought. So my point is this, is I wanna talk about in proportion what God considers also in proportion. I wanna consider in priority what God considers in priority. Will he talk about those? other issues? Will he address our sexuality? Will he address, you know, whatever it is? Absolutely. The scriptures do address that. But the apostle Paul is kind of showing us like, hey, listen, I got to get you out of your own head first. I got to stop you thinking only about you because that will shut down any conversation that we have. But then he goes into this idea about how we talk about other people and how we have conversation with one another. You know, it, it really is crazy. Matter of fact, we are less tolerant with the people who, who struggle with the other things and are more cozy with the gossip, the grumbling, the disputing, and the murmuring. You know, for some of us, we call that church. You know, I mean, it's really, uh, uh, it's, it's crazy that Paul puts this as a priority, self-centeredness, and then how we converse with each other. But I will always have people come into the church and when they want to meet the pastor, and I hope you meet me, uh, but I'm probably giving you a, a primer on how you don't want to interact with me at the first. You know, if your first conversation is going to be, Pastor Paul, I just want to let you know we got a lot of money. We want to know what you're doing with the money. I want to report. And you're going to ask me about money before you ask me if we're making disciples of Jesus Christ and how we're doing that. Before you ask us about our women's mentorship, 
If you, before you ask us about our, our men's group, before you ask us about you know, our theology, about how we believe about Jesus, maybe you're starting off the wrong way. But also, uh, the other thing will be, Pastor Paul, what's your stand on gay marriage? And I'm like, really? For God so loved the world that gave his only begotten son, and you're distinctive on whether or not you're gonna join this church on. And yes, there, is there a biblical distinctive on that? Absolutely. But the first things first. I mean, let's talk about, and, and, and nobody comes to me and says, hey, Pastor Paul, what's uh, Crosstown Church's stand on gossip? Nobody asked me. I've never been asked that question. Pastor Paul, uh, we like your church. We have really good music and, you know, I really like what you got going on there, a good youth program and all. But uh, uh, what's your stand on grumbling? Nobody asks anything about that. But here's Paul right out front. Let's talk about self-centeredness. And now we got the self-centeredness thing open. Let's talk about a little bit about grumbling. Let's talk about how we talk about people. Let's talk about how we interact in our marriages, how we interact in our churches. And I think it's because grumbling and disputing will kill any kind of relationship. It will destroy flourishing everywhere. Listen to what the writer of Proverbs 18 says. With the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach will be satisfied. He will be satisfied with the product of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who eat it will eat its fruit. I think it's interesting he uses the word satisfied here, that we'll be satisfied with what we're doing with our lips. And it doesn't mean, and looking at the original word, the word doesn't mean satisfied like, oh, that was amazing. It means like, no, it will fill your belly. And he says, listen, what, what comes out of your mouth, how you communicate with other people, it's going to be what will fill the belly of your life. It will fill that up to full measure. Um, how many folks here do we have that like fishing? You're a fisher person by, you know, okay, not, not too many, but, you know, really you should get into it. South Carolina, Charleston coastline, some of the best red fishing you'll ever find. No matter what those people from Louisiana say, this is the best city, except for lobster, and you got to go to Boston for that. But so, um, all that said, one of the things that we would do when we would fish, I was raised fishing. We were on the coastline of, of uh, New England, Boston area, a little area called Nahant. And we'd go out and we'd catch, uh, we'd catch uh, flounder and cod. Um, and my brother was a lobster fisherman, so it was really that kind of environment. But when the season changed and with the Gulf Stream and all and summer got hot, the sharks would begin to move in. And I mean, it was nothing like catching a shark. It was just incredible. I mean, they give you some of the best fights that you could get. But maybe we're a little bit carnivorous. Uh, and maybe not super sensitive to shark feelings, but uh, we'd catch the sharks just to, we'd eat some of them. I mean, some of them, all right? Uh, we'd eat some of them, but mostly we wanted, we'd get the big ones because we wanted to cut it open because you'd want to find what was in its belly. I mean, really, here's a picture of, of stuff that has been found in shark's belly. Matter of fact, this all came out of one shark. Um, license plate from California to uh, Barbie dolls. Don't know what that was all about. Um, hey, let me just tell you, spam doesn't taste good out of the can, let alone in the can. But this, the sharks have this kind of stuff in it. And what the writer of Proverb is saying is that um, 
you know, you begin to fill up the belly of your relationship with the quality of how you talk to each other. So let me ask you this. What's the belly of your marriage full of? I mean, seriously, if we caught it, I don't want to be gross here, but if we caught your, your you know, you know, pulling that, we caught your marriage, I'm sorry, and we put it here, and we slid that thing open, what, what would be the contents of it? And you'd be like, how'd that get there? Well, the writer of Proverbs is telling you exactly how it got there. You spoke it there. It's how you talk to each other. Uh, how about uh, the quality of your workplace? I know you're like, I hate this stupid job. Why? I don't know. I just don't like working there. It's like, well, you want to do a different profession? No, I just want to do it elsewhere. Why? It's because the belly of the culture of your work has become something. And you normally blame it on somebody, but really it's the product of the way that we speak to one another. How about uh, what's, the, what's the, the belly of friendships look like? What's the, what's the belly of this church look like? Yeah, seriously. What are the quality of our small groups? We'll shut a small group down. If I catch word that there's criticism going on in a small group of what the church is doing, or if there's gossip going on in the church, even disguised as prayer requests, you know, we'll shut that down. Why? Because we do not want the quality of what God's doing here to be the result of us killing each other with our words. I mean, that's why people, that's why people don't go to church. They don't go to, nobody has a problem with Jesus of Nazareth. I'm telling you, I've argued with atheists. Nobody's like, yeah, he's such a poser. You know, it's like nobody's talking bad about Jesus. Some people will argue about God, uh, the existence of God. I get it. And so, you know, there's some pushback, a lot of pushback we can do on that. But you ask them about church, it's, it's usually the result of the way that we talk about people. The way that we talk about those outside the church the way that we talk about each other in the church. And the Apostle Paul is like, listen, we gotta get things prioritized. Let's deal with self-centeredness because that kind of controls your tongue. Now let's find out the way that you're talking to each other in your marriage. You know, how you're talking to each other in your family. Um, no one can say, how did it get there? It's like, it's because it was spoken there. It's because, uh, the writer said this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. You don't need a, a knife to kill a relationship. You could just do it with your words. It's so easy. You don't need, and here's the other thing on the other side, you don't need chocolates and flowers to make a relationship grow. And I know all you guys are like, dude, I appreciate you. You just set me free on Valentine's Day. I don't got to do no pastor. You won't remember anything else other than, well, that pastor guy just said, I didn't have to give you chocolates and flowers. I just need to give you compliments. Well, let me just say, the chocolate, I'd go with the chocolate and the flowers or whatever else she's told you to bring her on, on uh, Wednesday. But the point is this, is that the way that we speak to each other, that's absolutely powerful. It's transformative. It's life-giving and and you say, well, no, I just believe in the true Pastor Paul. I'm a Calvinist. 
and I'm a Reformed Presbyterian, I'm a Catholic, I'm a tongue-speaking Pentecostal. It's like, well, we appreciate you speaking in unknown tongues, and I do too. But Paul's really concerned about what you're doing with your known tongue more than he's concerned about your unknown tongue. Okay? <laughs> so I was going to say put that in your pipe and smoke it, but that's probably not a healthy thing to do. <laughs> and listen, this isn't like a, a denominational thing. This is church-wide. It doesn't, it's, and it's Crosstown's problem too. It's, it's my problem. Like I told you, uh, because I, I will get in my rants. Paul uses these words, grumbling and disputing. And you can normally like blow those off because none of you are kind of like using the word grumbling. I mean, like when was the last time, like in the last month, you've word grumbling into a conversation? Maybe you used it with a four-year-old, stop your grumbling. You know, or your tumblies, tummies are rumbling or something like that. But nobody's using it. So I kind of broke out, what does this word mean? And it's great. It means two words that we don't use either. It means murmuring and muttering. <laughs> How much muttering have you been doing? That's something you do in a four by four, isn't it? Um, so I went even deeper. And what is the word in its original meaning? It means um, a secret displeasure leaked out. Okay, it's kind of like, I remember it was like a year ago, two years ago, Brian could probably tell me, but there was a sewer leak on the Stono River. Somebody, somehow there was a septic pipe that got busted on the Stono and it, it, the sewerage leaked into the Stono River. So if you've caught, you know, any redfish in the last year and a half on the Stono and are wondering why your head's doing that all the time, it's because you ate some septic infested fish. But, it, but, it's, uh, but here's, that's what it is. He's like, listen, stop leaking your septic material in conversations. It's like, stop being septic. Your secret displeasures. Stop. And, and, and he combines it with another word, dis, uh, grumbling and disputing. And now the word disputing is the word dialogue to, to reason, to deliberate. And, and intrinsically, it doesn't have any bad meaning. Um, it means this, it's another fishing picture, is if you've ever gone, gone looking for your bait fish so you can go red fishing, you get your little mullet, so you get yourself a net, and you know, you may do it better than I do, but you put part of the net in your, in your mouth, you know, and you got your cast net, and then you do this thing where you fling, and it opens up, whoosh, and it flies through the air, and it lands in the water, and all of a sudden you see this little shrimp bubbling in the water, and you, you're, you're kind of like, then you, mm, 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 and then you pull it in, you pull it, and you dump out all your shrimp. And so what he's doing, what he's saying here is that for some of us, we are casting our septic thoughts, our mind on people around us. And he's like, stop it. Stop taking, making your displeasures the topic of your dialogue. I don't want to hear what you think about Donald Trump. I don't want to hear what you think about Joe Biden. I don't want to hear what you think about the, the Democrats or the Republicans. You know, and, and he's like, stop casting that septic crap everywhere. That's just political. You could do it at home. Well, I don't like your mother. You know, well, your mother always this. Whenever she comes over, she does. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, stop it. 
stop, whether it's mother-in-law talk, whether it's work talk, whatever it is, stop casting the secrets of your displeasure on every conversation. Sure, you may not be happy with what your spouse is doing, but don't cast your mind when you think about it. The Apostle Paul is like, you know, it's like, we gotta stop doing this. You know, I think about dialogue, it's interesting that dialogue is a good thing, but as soon as it's kind of uh, melded together or bonded together, that it becomes something ugly. You know, it's kind of like in DNA that happens too, and I'm talking way over my pay grade here, but you may have some sort of, you know, DNA strand and some T-cell thing, that's all I ever hear about is some random T-cell doing this, and now it's like, normally this DNA thing is okay, and, but because it runs into this, you know, T-cell, it, it, it makes it go this way, and another one makes it go this way, and then you get up with these biological you know, abnormalities that occur because the DNA was good, but also when you T-celled it together with something else, something gets, some marker gets switched on or switched off. This happens in chemistry. You have one element and that element is really good and you got another element. And when you pair up that element, those two elements become explosive or they become poisonous. It becomes with personalities. Have you ever had two friends, but you can't put them together? You know, I mean, like they're really your friends and you take one person and you add it with another person and all of a sudden the conversation just goes sideways. You just, can't, you just can't put it together. So there's nothing wrong with dialogue, but the moment you add the sharing and the casting of your secret displeasures in the conversation of marriage, family, the workplace, the thing becomes septic. Paul puts a lot on this. Um, this is no little thing. I mean, this is, this is big. Because when we do this, um, it settles into a marriage. And some of you have septic marriages. I know you're looking pretty today and you're sitting next to that spouse and you're trying to look like you're together, but you're not really wanting to touch each other. But, you know, you're kind of... And, and, if we were to cut the belly up for that relationship, we'd find out some of the things that you say to each other at home are absolutely septic. Uh, this ruins your workplace. You sharing your, you're sharing your opinion about what Joe Rogan said on his podcast. I mean, Joe Rogan is the number one podcast in the world. You know what that guy does? He makes money out of getting some crazy wahoo, yahoo on his thing, talking about aliens, talking about Jesus, talking about, um, I don't know, uh, I don't know, he's everything. He doesn't have an opinion about, he has an opinion about nothing. He stands for nothing, but he creates an environment of septic casting of thought. And you know what the problem is? I love it. I love it. I'm like, because I'm listening to some Joe Rogan and some Jordan Peterson, and, and, and you know, and I really like Jordan Peterson, but I'll be least, I'm like, yeah, we, we, need to, we need to do it. We need to get them. Who? I don't know. <laughs> Those, I mean, it's like, we, we, we got to get them. And, and, and I'm telling you, it does absolutely nothing. Um, it will destroy a church, it will destroy small groups, us talking about 
things that we have no right to be talking about the way that we're talking about them. Will there be spaces where you can address issues that are wrong? Absolutely. Safe learning spaces. But just spewing, Twitter, I wish Twitter, please excuse this expression, would go to hell. Because all it is, is an avenue for you to cast your net of your secret displeasures and then run. You know, you're not standing for anything, you're just spewing. And Paul's like, you guys gotta stop it. Or you're gonna ruin America. Or you're gonna ruin your family. You're gonna destroy your marriage. You're gonna wreck your church. You know, there's a little thing about that can wreck churches right now. I see it going around and, and I hear it among pastors. And uh, I'm not the pastor to pastors, but I'll just tell you, is that I hear pastors over and over again saying, because I'll talk to them, they'll ask, how's your church going, Paul? And I'll be like, going good, going good, man. We're ministering to people, all kinds of different people. And they'll be like, well, yeah, but you know, you, you, know, you, you can't stand for homosexuality, right? I'm like, that doesn't mean I can't love. It doesn't, I mean, they let me be there. Why can't I let everybody be there? I mean, we all are kind of, and we'll learn about it in a second, we're all crooked, you know, we're all bent, you know? And so, but, but it'd be like, yeah, but you know, are you, and I'm serious, I'm not lying here. I get a bunch of pastors together and be like, man, I sure hope Trump wins this year. I'm like, really? Is this the conversation we're having? Yeah, and it'd be like, well, we can't let those lift it. I have had pastors tell me that Democrats can't be Christians. And I know some of you are sitting here right now, and I can see it. And you're like, yeah, well, they, they can't. Okay, let me just tell you, be very careful what you put in front of the imputed righteousness of Christ. Okay? And if you have something you put in front of the imputed righteousness of Christ, then that is your savior. Okay, that is greater than God, okay? And so do I agree with all the political parties and all the others? Absolutely not. They're both, I mean, they're both out of their minds. That's why they need the church to speak life, not just to cast our own nets of our social displeasure. We've already got enough of that going on. We're called to speak life into it. Paul put a lot on this. He said, you do all this, why? So that you can prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach. How we interact proves what we are. This uh, brilliant theologian named Matthew Henry made this statement. He said, the testimony of our consciences will be for us or against us according as we have or have not governed our tongues. Our tongues will reveal the quality of our conscience. So when you just think you're just saying something, you know, it's like, no, you're revealing what's in the belly of, of, of your heart. I mean, you're, that's what's being revealed. And then you're filling yourself with that. Who are we proving it to? One, we're proving it to ourselves because sometimes I'll be going throughout my day and I'll be like, and I get attitudes just like you do. 
you know, and then all of a sudden I'll say something about somebody or to somebody and I'll hear it cross over like this, the plane of my audible awareness, you know, and I'll hear it and I'll be like, oh, dude, you can't say that. And I, when I say don't say that, because I'm not afraid of what you're going to put on Twitter, or you're going to cancel me. It's like, you can't say that because you're a child of the living God. You can't, you can't say that. And, and, and I know we put a big deal in the Bible Belt on whether or not you say, I'm just going to, the F word, um, or you, the S word, or the D word, or the L word, or the G word, or the Z word, or whatever word you got. I remember getting beat up by some Christian multiple times because I say jeepers creepers. It's like, you're using the Lord's name in vain. Or I say, good golly, or good golly molly. You know, I don't know who molly is, but just good gobbledygop. You know, like you're using the Lord's name in vain. It's like, really, is that what we are? The church that doesn't say jeepers creepers? No, I want to be the church that doesn't gossip. I want to be the church that doesn't bear false witness against my neighbor. I want to be the church that speaks hope into the lives of broken people, no matter how broken they are. I mean, this is what Paul's concerned about. It's not, the, not whether or not the, the, the word, don't, we could get to that. He probably does concern about, don't let any unwholesome speech come out of your mouth. I ignore that part of the Bible. You know, don't let any, but, but he really wants to, he really, you're tweeting it out right now, aren't you? You're putting it out there. How, how dare you? Um, but seriously, how are you talking to your children? God's really concerned about it. That's how you prove Jesus. Not based upon your systematic theology book. Dad, if you want to lead your son to the Lord, change the way you talk to him. I mean, that's the power. And some of our families, we're, oh yeah, we go to church together. We got our big old Bible right under our hands. And the dinner table is septic. The things that we're saying to each other. This matters. It proves whether or not we're the real deal or not. Um, the quality of our relationships, particularly our interaction, has an opportunity to affect our culture. Over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about a couple of things. Let me, he talks to the, them about abounding, and these were the elements. Being unselfish, humble, looking not on our own needs, but on the needs of others. Walking obedient before God, doing everything without complaining or with arguing, and holding the word of truth. That's it right there. And you thought you had to walk on water. And you thought you had to perform miracles. And you think that being filled with the Spirit is speaking in an unknown tongue. And yes, I speak in tongues more than all of you. I have visions. I have prophecies. I have words from God. But the measure of the quality of my relationship is how I treat you, how I speak to you, how I love you how I interact. Otherwise, the Apostle Paul says, I am nothing but a noisy gong. If I have not love, but I have knowledge, I am nothing. And yes, yeah, some of us here, we know what's wrong with the world, don't we? Some of us here are smart enough to figure out what America needs to do. But the problem is we're not qualified to do it because we can't speak the truth in love. 
This, you see how big this is? You know, do you see why a church needs to have a stand on this? First and foremost, that's why Paul put it this way. Listen to the power of influence so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless, innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. The word of life there is not specifically and only the word of God. It's the word of life of your lips also that you hold words of life, your tongue holds the power of life. And he's like, listen, you have the ability to appear as lights in the night sky. It's an actually, it's photos in the cosmos is the original language. I know, you're a big deal at work. I mean, yeah, you are, you probably are. You sell, you buy, you fly, you heal, you do a lot of amazing things. But this is an opportunity for you to be stars in the night sky. And it all comes down to how you and I interact with one another and how we, we talk to each other, how we talk to people outside, people that we disagree with, how we interact with people that we disagree with. Paul describes you and I living in a crooked and perverse generation. And I know if you're a little older like me, just a little older, not much, but if you're a little older like me, you're thinking, yeah, it's those Gen Zers. It's you guys, perverse, perverse generation. You know, you're all screwed, especially you, Joshua. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm only kidding, I, he's awesome. Uh, but, or or it would say, okay, so the boomers, will blame the Gen Zer, Gen Xers. Gen Xers blame the Gen Zers and, the, and everybody just blames the XYs and Zers, okay? But that's not what the word means. He says in a crooked and perverse generation. Generation here is the word genius, our genus-like species, the age of man. We are in a crooked and perverse age of mankind. And, and so I looked at this, so it's not, it's not, so boomers get off your high horse and Gen Z or give your boomer a break. You know, it's all of us. And he said, a crooked and perverse generation. And I, I looked up those words because again, we don't talk about being crooked. So, but there's something, why repeat it? Because in the Greek, the word crooked means, it's astounding, crooked. And in the word perverse means, guess what? Crooked. So why say crooked and perverse and we're just saying crooked twice? The secret is that the word, the Greek word for crooked, scoliosis. Ah. You know that struggle that people have with their spines that, that grow crooked? It's a work of nature. But the word perverse is not a work in nature. It is the bending of something. He says a generation or in a genus or in a species of people who have a natural bent towards evil and also bend truth into evil. That's us. He's not talking about them. And I know when I say them, a them popped in your mind, didn't it? Some of you leftists. 
popped into your mind. For some of you, right-wingers popped into your mind. When I said them, some of you meant, you know, you had something the other people. No, we are part of the crooked and the naturally bent and bending of the order of God. But it's like, well, how do you fix something that's naturally bad and is inclined to do bad? Stop your grumbling, stop your complaining, and you will appear as lights in the dark sky. This is big. This is so big. Because, and, and this is, hurts me. I love making fun of people. <laughs> I mean, it's like a sport. I mean, they serve it up every day. I mean, it's like, he is, I mean, it's like, but honey, he is an idiot. You know, it's like, it's like, but you know, there's somebody having that conversation about me right now. It's like, yeah, we're not coming back here. This guy is an idiot. But God is telling us, listen, if you want to change the world, if you want to be a church that I, I want you to be a part of, let's do the first things first. It's like, okay. And unfortunately, some of you, I want to apologize because whether it happened here or it happened at another church, you got saved and somebody went into your liquor cabinet and started looking to see what you were drinking. And started saying, I thought you were a Christian. And you, I see you got something in your liquor cabinet. You know what you tell somebody that's doing that? Get the heck out of my liquor cabinet. But we made liquor first, or as soon as you get baptized, you come out of the waters and you're not gay anymore. How the heck? I struggled with pornography for 20 years of my Christian life. Thank God you guys didn't drive me to the edge of the city and throw me off the cliff. Because growing in Christ is a process. And you know why it worked for me? It's because people like Ben and you and almost all of you spoke life to me. You spoke over me and told me, God loves you. When I hated myself, you reminded me of his love. You spoke it over. You could have pointed out a thousand things wrong with me every single day, and I could do that myself, but I'm already doing a good job with that. But to be in a community that would speak life and hope, let's do the first things first. So let's look at how we are interacting in retrospectively as we're going to our communion moment. Let me ask you this. Are your words life-giving or are they death blows? And if I hear one more person say to me, well, pastor, I just say it like it is, as if it's a badge of honor, golly, there is no level of right that becomes an excuse for being rude. There's no level of right that becomes an excuse for you to strip another human being of their value. Jesus said to his disciples, you have heard it said that thou shalt not commit or commit murder. But I say to you, those of you who say to your brother, you fool shall be guilty and in danger of the fires of hell. It's like, what? It's like, yeah. 
how you talk to each other is, is super important to me. If we were to catch your marriage or your interaction at work or your conversation at church with a hook, and if we were to open up its belly, what would we find? You're all looking great to me right now, but really, let's just be honest. What, how, do you, how do you two talk to each other? What is the, what is the, how, what's your small group talking about? You're talking about them outside? You're turning prayer requests into gossip? I mean, really, what's your dinner table look like? You don't have to walk on water to prove that you are a child of God. You don't have to raise the dead to be the light of the world. Let me just throw these real quick at you. But speak the truth in love. We are all to grow up into all aspects into Christ. First Timothy 4.12, let no one look down on you, but rather in speech, in conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself to be an example of those who believe. Titus 2.6, in all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified in sound speech, be above reproach. Colossians 4.6, let your speech always, always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Proverbs 18:21. Death and life are in the power of your tongue. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love. And Lord God, I know that all of us are a little crooked, a little bent by nature, and some of us have twisted the truth. God, we live in a world that is totally bent out of shape. We ask that you start with us. Start with our souls, start with our lips, start with our conversations, start with this church, start with our conversations with one another. God, give us your Holy Spirit today Give us your love today that we may not only be healed by it, but that we would speak it to other people. And as we take the bread and the cup, we are reminded that you came that we may have life, that you came to show us the Father, and that the Father loves us. May we give this gift to the people around us with our words.